Uh, it's going to be kind of hard hitting today. If you got your Bible, get it out. We're going to have a lot of Bible reading today. I have a Bible that somebody can borrow if they didn't bring theirs. Whoever asked for it first can... T- Jaden, did you raise your hand? All right. There you go, my friend. First Corinthians 6. You can put your finger in 1 Corinthians 6. We won't be there for a little while. Let's just pray real fast. Father, we just thank you. We just thank you, God. The goodness and the mercy that you pour into our lives uh, is so steady, is so reliable, and we just praise you for it, Father. And we thank you, God, for the way you guide us, the way you teach us, um, the way you encourage us when we're doing the right thing, the way you use your rod and pull us into the right whenever we find ourselves in the wrong. And Lord, we just thank you for your mercy and how never-ending it is. And we are experts at failure, Father, but our failure never takes away from your victory. And we love you for that, and we adore you for that. You're all of our hope. God, all of our hope for, for purity, for uh, prosperity, uh, for eternity, all of our hope is in you. We don't put any hope in ourselves and our own discipline, um, but we do everything we can to be disciplined to honor you, Father. And we just, we just do it out of respect for your mercy, God. And we just ask, I just ask today, Lord, that today as we're going through this lesson, uh, that our minds and our hearts would be soft to you. That we would accept correction, not with shame, but with excitement. I pray that the commitments we make to you today wouldn't fall flat. But that they would continue uh, to be commitments in our life every single day from here forth. Yeah, in Jesus' name, Lord, amen. <clears throat> the best time for repentance is A, when you're doing something wrong. <laughs> That's the best time to repent. And B, right after you finished worshiping. Right after you finished telling God how awesome He is, is the best time to say, okay, God, I'm ready to change who I am. Okay? So, let's get into it. I was going to talk to you guys about evangelism. And as I started studying up on evangelism, Holy Spirit quickly took me into purity. So today we're going to talk about the relationship of purity to evangelism. And let me just say this, if you think that I can't evangelize because I have purity issues, you need to evangelize and work out your purity issues. <laughs> you can't just say, well, I don't got one, so I'm not going to do the other. No, fix them both. All right? Okay. All right, I'm going to do a lot of reading today, so you guys may just have to bear with me. 
The Bridge Church is not here to relieve people who are upset or languishing in some other church. We're not here to, to serve people who are already saved. If somebody's already saved and they're not happy at their church, my recommendation is for them to stay at their church and learn the value of faithfulness, even when it's not comfortable or not profitable to them. Amen. Yeah? So it's really easy to be faithful whenever you're getting something out of it. But at some point you come to a place in church life where you're not getting anything out of your faithfulness. You're going to a church, you're not being fed, you're not excited, you're not close to the people, you don't like the music, you don't like the pastor. Something's wrong. Something's wrong and you're not getting anything out of it. And you can't just bail and come to another church. You have to learn the value of faithfulness even when it's not profitable. Okay? And I don't want to be the outlet for other churches, people that are upset with their churches. Because we have a really good culture here. We have a really free culture here. It's very relaxed. Every, everybody loves being here. People who come here love being here. They feel God. And that's, that is fantastic. What happens then is that we become a magnet for other people who aren't happy in their churches. But they've got to learn faithfulness. Alright? So... We're here to relieve the upset and languishing who are upset and languishing in life, not in church. Okay? So, that's not for you. That's just kind of a general statement. That's why we're here. We're here so that the people who are upset and languishing in life can come here and find relief. Our church growth, right? And, hey, you know, I'm not a big fan of looking at numbers and stuff, but there's some empty seats today, yeah? yeah. Let's not be ignorant of that. <laughs> uh, thank you. <laughs> Our church growth, just like kingdom growth, will not come from an influx of people who are already saved. The kingdom can't grow by bringing in more people who are already saved. <laughs> the kingdom's got to go out and get the people who aren't saved. Our church is the same way. You guys want to have a nice, big, exciting church? We've got to go get some people saved. It's, our growth won't come from people who just like the way we do church. won't happen. Because you know what? Eventually they'll like somebody else the way they do church better. And then they'll bounce over there. And they'll be with us for like a year and a half. Look, it happens. It happens. I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want a church filled with church goers. Why? Because church goers tend to go from church to church. There's really no purpose or progress. I want a church of go-getters, as in go-get the lost. I want a church filled up with the lost and hopeless. Just, just, just pouring over the brim with lost and hopeless people. Bring them here. Bring them here. We help them find Jesus. If you are a mature and seasoned believer in the Bridge Church, I love you. But don't come here without trying to bring somebody with you who is lost and hopeless. Don't come here without trying to bring somebody with you who is lost and hopeless. And don't stop trying. Get into people's ears. They need a light at the end of their tunnel. need a light at the end of their tunnel and it's Jesus. 
and we can help people find Jesus. That's what we do. We're a bridge. We're a bridge. We help people get from a place where they're not with Jesus to a place where they are with Jesus. So bring them here. Let's do it. This church has a mission. We have a mission. It is not, we are not here to, one, host your social life. I'm sorry. Look, you're going to have friends here. We love that. You're going to be close with people. We're going to do life together. It's going to be fantastic. We love it. But don't hide here. Don't hide in this social setting. Get out and make friends with other believers from other churches. And get out and make friends with people who are not believers. I mean close friendships. I mean close friendships with people who don't know Jesus. Don't let this be your social life. We're not here to facilitate your worship. That's what your closet is for. And you thought it was for clothes. (laughs) So silly. Your closet's there to facilitate your worship. Hey, and you know what? More so, your life is there to facilitate your worship. Right? We're just, we just play music. All right? Don't come here for the music. It's just a bonus. All right? It's just a bonus. You facilitate your own worship. Don't come here, don't come here for a spiritual high. Right? We're not your Holy Spirit doobie. I got her to snort. I got her to snort. Don't come here for a spiritual high, okay? Get your spiritual highs at home and come here to share what happened. All right? We're not here, last one, we're not here to spur on your spiritual growth. That's what Holy Spirit's for. That's why you know Holy Spirit, so He can spur on your spiritual growth. We're here to support it. We're here just to support your spiritual growth. And we'll provide all kinds of teaching and training and discipleship and friendship and accountability. We'll do all of that. But we're not here to spur on your spiritual growth. Don't come here thinking, man, I've got to get on fire again, so I'm going to go to church this morning. No. No, get on fire on the way to church. Amen. Right? And then come here already ready to learn. Okay? Now look, spiritual growth, since we're on that topic, spiritual growth is not an increase in revelation. It's not an increase in passion for Jesus. Here is spiritual growth. Baby Christian changes a few people's lives. Mature Christian changes a lot of people's lives. If you want to grow spiritually, get out and change somebody's life. That's how you grow spiritually. You don't grow spiritually by filling up your head with a bunch of Bible knowledge. The Bible is there so that you can know God. But your spiritual growth comes from whenever you get out and you rub shoulders with people who, who, who need to find Jesus. You help them find Jesus. And pow, you become a more mature Christian. And there's proof. Jesus' entire ministry, everything he did, everything, every action, every message, it was done with a single mindset evangelism. He said, I'm going to go find people who are far from God and I'm going to bring them close to God. That's it. That's it it that's all he did that's it that's it that was his only only thing that he ever did find people far from god bring them close to god right up until the day he died on a cross that's what he was doing so if we call ourselves christians but we don't go help people who are far from god come close to god 
I think we're lying to ourselves. We're not really Christians. We, we may be believers. We may be Holy Spirit-filled saints. But the term Christian means little Christ. Right? And so if we're not doing what Christ did, we can't call ourselves little Christians. We can't call ourselves that. We've got to go get the lost, guys. We've got to. Or else we're just lying to ourselves. Hey, that's a gut check for me as much as it is for any of you. I'm being honest. It's so easy to just to stick in this church and enjoy it and love the people and have a good time with God. and It's all just first gear. How many of you guys ever drive a stick shift? <laughs> you don't go far in first gear. That's just... That's barely enough to get you out of the driveway. Here's a newsflash. All of the evangelizing that Jesus did, he pretty much always used words. Yeah. You guys know the quote, preach the gospel, use words when necessary. I don't know if you realize that's not a Bible quote. The origin's unknown. A lot of people think it was Francis of Assisi. But it's not a Bible quote. And it's really not the way Jesus did it. Here's what the Bible said. It said, don't put your candle under a bushel. It said, put your, put your light up on a stand where everybody can see it. It said, be a city on a hill. I, we did a lesson with the kids, and I brought out my little iPhone light. And I brought out a big, like, uh, worksite light, you know, like one of them industrial things. And I turned on, and we turned out all the lights, and I had all the windows kind of, so it was really dark. Not too dark. Kids get mischievous. <laughs> They're, like, trying to sneak off. And when, I'm like, I see you. I can see you. <laughs> I turned on my little iPhone light, and I said, look, can you guys see this light? They said, yes. I said, yeah, you can see this light, but it's not changing the room, is it? I turn on the industrial work light, pow, the whole room is lit up. Now, if you're going to be a light for Jesus, what kind of light do you want to be? Look, if you're going to go out and preach the gospel and use words when necessary, you're going to be the little bitty iPhone light. People might see Jesus, but you're not going to change the atmosphere. You're not going to change the atmosphere. You want to change the atmosphere, you've got to be bright. You've got to be bright. You're going to have to use words, mouth, talking. <laughs> Put yourself up on a lampstand. If, if we're going to be a city of protection in this church where people could come in and be protected and find God, then let's not be a city in a valley where, where nobody can see us from far away. Let's be a city on a hill. Way up high, people can see us from all around. All right, here's a biblical process since we don't, you know, I'm not a fan of Francis of Assisi's supposed quote. Here's the biblical process. Tell people about Jesus. Love them and live right. Okay? Put the words forward about Jesus. Put the words out there. Look, I, I know you're having a hard time in your life and maybe you don't want to hear a bunch of religious talk, but Jesus is for real. 
Jesus is for real and he loves you and he wants to help you. And I don't know what your prayer life's like, but I would love to pray with you. Why don't you tell me what's going on in your heart and let's, let's pray about it. Let's talk to Jesus about your problems. Guys, use words. Use words to minister to people. All right? Put the words forward and then let their proof be love that is constantly shown. People like, whatever, this, per- this person is talking about Jesus. That's whenever your love comes in and makes it real for them. All right? All right, moving on. <clears throat> Let's go to the lost and the languishing. Let's go to the miserable and the hopeless. Let's go share Jesus. And listen, the going starts with purity. Well, that was a left turn for me whenever I was preparing. I was just going to go find some Bible verses, and then we would basically be done this morning. And then Holy Spirit got to work, and now we got some work to do. We're a church with a lot of freedom. If you come here, we're not going to put a lot of rules and stipulations on you. We're, just, we're not going to do it. You have a lot of freedom in this church. You want to go get a tattoo? Go get a tattoo. It ain't going to bother us. Right? You have this question about, you know, is this a sin? Is that a sin? Come talk to us. We'll, we'll show you what the Bible says, and you can go have a conversation with God. And then whatever choice you make, we're going to love you, and we're going to be like your best friend on the world, no matter what you do. That's, that's our mindset. We're going to love people, and we're going to be their best friends, no matter what they do. We're going to see the treasure in them, the value in them, that goes beyond whatever sort of dirt they're caught up in. That's our mindset here. And as a result, we have a lot of freedom in this church. You have a lot of freedom to just live and be a Christian and try to grow in God and do your own thing. And we love that. But there are expectations. We expect you to, one, strive toward a lifestyle of righteousness, right? A lifestyle of holiness, a lifestyle that's worthy of the fact that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Two, we expect you to cultivate a reputation that is above reproach. And that's the, both of those things are biblical. Straight, almost verbatim, verbatim out of the Bible. Bible verbatim. <laughs> cultivate a reputation that is above reproach, and don't make it a lie. Have some integrity. Cult- you cultivate reputation through integrity, not through shams. Yeah, not through being a good faker. All right. The mission of bringing people who are far from God, close to God, it has to start with purity. It has to start for purity. It has to start with purity. And there's a couple of obvious reasons. We don't want to be hypocritical, Right? We don't want to be all caught up in all kind of sin and then going out and be trying to get people to leave their sin. We don't want to be dishonorable. Uh, Secondly, look, the lost, they may enjoy their impurity. They may enjoy the messy lifestyle that they're in, but they don't respect it. All right? And when they see your purity, that makes an impression. It makes an impression. All right? So those are a couple obvious reasons. Now some less obvious reasons. Now these get deep. 
If we're trying to evangelize and we don't have purity, it is self-destructive. It's like you're out there talking to people about Jesus and trying to share the good news, but you've got massive amounts of sexual immorality in your life. You might as well be smoking, drinking, and shooting up all at the same time because that's going to lead straight directly to your spiritual demise. It is self-destructive. First Corinthians 10.20 says, you don't have to go there right now, we're going to go all through this. First Corinthians 10.20 says, you cannot drink the cup of demons and the cup of the Lord. Mark 3.25 says, a house divided against itself cannot stand. You're out there talking about Jesus with people and you're caught up in sin, you're leading to your own demise. Secondly, if we're doing that, we're false prophets. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you're doing wrong and yet you're out there sharing the kingdom of God, what are you sharing? A lie. Because you didn't inherit the real kingdom. You're presenting a false kingdom. That makes you a false prophet. That's serious. That's serious. Thirdly, Trying to evangelize without purity, it's worse than ineffective, right? Like, that's bad when something is ineffective. But it is worse than ineffective. It actually has the reverse effect. It is not ineffective. It is reverse effective. It takes something that was clean and pure and meant to house the Holy Spirit, and it brings in the dirty and the unrighteous, right? It converts saints to sinners instead of sinners to saints. It brings death instead of life when you are trying to bring life. 1 Corinthians six nineteen says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You go out and evangelize and you don't have that. What you're doing is you're bringing in people who aren't going to do that either. And you're polluting the house. We'll get more into that in a second. All right, let's get into the, We're going to jump into the Bible now. This is what we're going to do. That's, that's what we're talking about today. We could stop now, but we've got some time, so let's, let's get into the Bible, like deep. You guys want some deep Bible reading training? Let's do it. 1 Corinthians 6. We're going to read through the entire chapter. And then we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 10, and we're going to read through the entire chapter. And I'm going to insert a couple of things, and you're going to begin to understand the point of purity. And you might be surprised to find out the, per the point of purity isn't only A, to honor God, but it is to help people be saved. Paul is, does an excellent job of making the point. So let's just start out uh, with chapter 6, 1. If any of you have a dispute with another... Do not dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment <clears throat> instead of before the Lord's people. Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world and you are not competent to judge trivial cases, do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes such as matters or do not ask them for, do not ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church. I say this to shame you. It is 
possible that there is no is it possible that there is no one among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. The fact that you have lawsuits among you means you've been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Okay, let's stop right there. This whole first part, it, it kind of deals with a topic we're not really talking about today. But it does set up an important point, which is that the church is to be highly respected, trustworthy. Okay, We're in a higher place of trust and respect in society, to the point that disputes among God's people should be settled by God's people, not the ungodly. We are expected by God and by society to be wise, honest, and trustworthy, completely free of trickery, manipulation, or deception. That's kind of what it's setting up right there. So we, we're, we're a standard above the world as far as trustworthiness, honesty, and wisdom go. Okay? All right, picking back up at verse 8. Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? So basically right there, if you're failing to be able to handle your disputes... It's evidence of a deeper problem, and you will not be able to inherit the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? That's basically what Paul's saying. All right, back on. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's a list of people that I don't want in the kingdom of God. Idolaters, right? Uh, listen, here, here we go. Here's idolatry, okay? All of my love and affection goes to God. All my love and affection belongs to you. So, idolatry is anything that's taking that love and affection away from God. That can be anything. Anything that intercepts it, anything that intercepts that love and affection can be an idol. Our love and affection goes through God, then to our spouse, to our family, to Liverpool FC, to <laughs> first through God, then to wherever it's going to go with His approval. Okay? And anytime we catch ourselves more passionate about one person or sport than we are about God, there's the I word, idolatry, okay? So be careful with that. There's a, there's, it's fairly easy to manage it. Anything, uh, oh, 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 and then also Jared talked about worrying is idolatry because worrying is basically admitting that there's something more powerful than God. Right? God has your best interest in heart. He's going to protect you. So if you're worrying, you're almost saying, well, I'm kind of scared because there's something more powerful than God. Idolatry. It's a form. It can be a form of idolatry. Okay. Moving back up. Verse 11. Ready? And that is what some of you were, this list of people. But you were washed and you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of our God. 
All right, sexual immorality. Quote, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. Quote, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Here's a verse that is generally misheard when somebody says it. Because somebody just blurts it out, I have the right to do everything, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, everything, but, but not everything will master me. And it, we're, it, it says the exact same thing later on in chapter 10. We'll read it again. But what Paul is saying there is he's actually quoting what they have said and then amending it to make it correct. Okay? All right. So Paul didn't say you can do anything. They said that, and he corrected them. So basically, no, you can't do anything. Because if it's not beneficial, you can't do it. Okay? All right. Food for the stomach and stomach for the food. And God will destroy them both. That's all a quote again. He's quoting what they have said. Food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Let's pause right there. All right, let's hit this. Sexual immorality. If you're not married, basically anything related to sex, whether it's imagined mentally, seen visually, experienced physically, artistically, any way, shape, or form, related to sex, off limits. Period. Don't go there. You're not married, don't go there. It's not for you. You're stealing something that's not for you. Don't dishonor God. And don't cheat yourself. And it says that in here. We'll get it into a second. You sin against your own body. It's off limits. And look, you have to make a decision that you're not going to give in to whatever cravings come along. You've got to be strong and you have that strength. You do. You do. Okay? If you are married, marriage affords a lot of freedom. A lot of freedom. And you may have questions as to what's okay and what's not okay. And my recommendation to you is to ask somebody who's a spiritual authority after you pray and talk amongst yourselves moralrevolution.org this is a site that is set up by Chris Valentin and Bethel Church and it's all for just helping our society be morally correct specifically in the realm of sex right? so you can go there and you can search and you can ask questions and you can read other people have asked questions and they've written blog posts and you can find out if you're wondering about something if it's off limits or, all, or okay or what and they can answer your questions. There's some videos. Danny Silk, a person who I respect immensely. Chris Valentin, another guy I respect immensely. They have YouTube videos, and they are not afraid to jump into a very awkward topic and discuss it in biblical terms and bring clarity and bring light to the situation. So the enemy there is darkness. The enemy there is confusion, is uncertainty. Like maybe, okay, I don't know, maybe not, maybe I don't Go find out. Go find out. 
If you're comfortable with Jared or myself, you can talk to us. Ladies, don't talk to us. All right? And I would, I would suggest you guys do that. Because, look, there may be some things that you think are off limits, but they're, they're okay for you. There may be some other things that you think they're okay, but you need to tap the brakes. Here's a good measuring stick. Ready? Ask this question. Does my desire for this form of intimacy surpass my desire for intimacy with God? And if you find yourself all passionately fired up for something in a way that you don't get passionately fired up for moments with God, then I say you probably need to tap the brakes on whatever that thing is. Is that fair? That may be different for everybody. Does my desire for this form of intimacy surpass my desire for intimacy with God? Okay. Let's keep going. Verse 14. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never! Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. You know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of in soccer. I've got to revelate everything. We've got to go to soccer at some point. No, any sport, though. You guys know this. You, did, you were in high school, and you were playing a sport, and you were training. And what did your coach tell you when you guys were learning endurance? So you guys are out there training, and he's, like, making you run so much you throw up. And you know what he tells he told, Every coach I ever had told me this. If you slack off or if you cheat, you're only hurting yourself. You're only cheating yourself. All right? We're doing these things where you've got to do like this. And you just got to, like, hold it. And it just, like, kills these muscles right here. Right? And you know what some guys do? They just kind of lean forward a little bit, and it makes it a lot easier, <laughs> so much easier. You know? And our coach would tell us, look, you can cheat. You can do it wrong if you want. You're cheating yourself. Because whenever you get out there in a game, the guy who didn't cheat is the guy who's going to outrun you. Sexual sin is the same thing. You're not, you're not cheating anybody else. You're cheating yourself. You're hurting yourself. Okay. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Look, Jared keeps this building clean. He does not keep the church clean. You keep the church clean. Don't muddy up Jared's hard work. <laughs> he works hard, and he keeps this building clean. And we don't need you guys walking in and muddying it up with all of your sin. Okay? All right. Your bodies are temples, right? We treat this earthly temple with respect. Treat your God-given temple with respect. Amen. Keep it clean. All right, warnings from Israel's history. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under a cloud, 
and they all passed through the sea. The cloud he's talking about is the cloud that like led them and protected them, the, the cloud of glory. They were all baptized into Moses at the cloud and in the sea. They all ate of the same spiritual food and they drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. Listen, and that rock was Christ. That rock was Christ. So the Israelites, that we like to think, well, they didn't have Jesus. Well, apparently they did. It's not in the form that we know it. But they drank from the same spiritual drink. They ate the same spiritual food. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered into the wilderness. Clearly, it is not enough just to taste and see that Jesus is good. Because that's what they did. They drank the same spiritual drink. They ate the same spiritual food. And yet God was not pleased with them and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. You have tasted and you've seen that Jesus is good. Don't displease God so that your body gets scattered in the wilderness. Okay? We need to live to please Him. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and then got up to indulge in revelry. I'm going to pause right here. Here, idolatry is defined as the overindulgence, the abuse of things that were gifts from God. The abuse of things that were gifts from God. It indirectly applies to sex within marriage. Don't get carried away uh, within your marriage that you stumble into debauchery and revelry. You have a gift from God, don't abuse it. Okay? A very healthy and perfectly pure married sex life can quickly become revelry. And that's not cool. That's not cool with God. Did I go all the way to chapter 10? Oh, 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 I just kept right on going. Okay, yeah, we're in chapter 10 now, guys. That's funny. Yeah, so warnings from Israel's history started uh, chapter 10. So did everybody, did everybody get on track? All right, sorry. Oh, Jane's back there like, what? <laughs> yeah, we're at chapter 10, verse, well, 7 now. Yeah, chapter 10 now. We finished chapter 6. All right, on. we're making progress. I did, I'm sorry. Look, I even have it written right there so I could tell you guys to flip, and I just like, whoop, went straight through. All right, we all good? Raise your hand if you need a little bit more time to find where we're at. Everybody good? Okay. <clears throat> all right, respect that you are, I'm talking to married couples now. I'm talking to married couples who, who, can, who can have sex, and it's perfectly fine. Respect the fact that you are spiritual beings, having a flesh experience, okay? Meet each other's needs, right? Enjoy your intimacy, but don't go so far that you crave the flesh more than you crave the spirit because, again, you're cheating yourself. Don't go so far that you crave the flesh more than you crave the spirit, okay? Realize that legal sex can become a sin of idolatry. All right. We should not commit sexual immorality. Um, verse 8. We should not commit sexual immorality. And some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did. And they were killed by snakes. 
And do not grumble as some of them did, and they were killed by the destroying angel. All right, pause at verse 9, testing Christ. Testing Christ means living willfully in sin and just expecting his blood to cover everything. I'm going to just willfully live in sin and Jesus' blood will cover it and everything will be cool because Jesus has died for all of my sins. And I'm not going to make any effort to try to clean up my lifestyle. You're testing Christ. Don't do it. Make an effort. Clean up your lifestyle. All right, verse 11. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. We're almost to the end, guys. It's like when you're a little kid and you've got to drive from Wichita Falls to Dallas and your parents keep telling you, look, we're almost there. And you're like, it's taking forever. <laughs> I thought Wichita Falls was close. We're close. We're almost there. Therefore, my friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. All right, listen, this is really good. This is brilliant by Paul, and I'm just going to read it. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? He's talking about communion. And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf. We who are many are one body. For we all share the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that the food sacrificed to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No. But sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. How many of you go to, I do this at breakfast. I go, I order my breakfast, and then I get the trifecta. I'll have a coffee, a water, and an orange juice. I'm going to have all three of my drinks sitting there, and throughout the meal, maybe I'll drink some coffee, maybe I'll drink some orange juice, maybe I'll drink some water. It's not like that. You get one cup. Choose your cup. And if you're living in sexual immorality, you've chosen the cup of demons, and you cannot have the cup of the Lord. All right. You cannot have part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than He? All right, moving to verse 23. Back to this same verse. I have the right to do anything. <laughs> but not everything is beneficial. Stop laughing at my pansy voice. <laughs> I have the right to do anything. But not everything is constructive. Now he uses the word constructive. And the whole tone of this entire thing is going to change right here. Right here it's going to change. Because now he's not just talking about you honoring God and being healthy and being good spiritually. And now he's talking about, let's build something. You could do anything, but you can't do anything because not everything is constructive. Right? Paul wants to build something. I like Paul. Let's do it. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And here is the key verse. This looks, you could just pass right over this verse and think, okay, good. It doesn't have any big words. I understand it. 
this verse is the key verse in these entire two chapters. Let me explain to you why. He says, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Hmm. This is the way that we manage having, A, complete freedom in Christ, where we can do anything and, he, and His blood will cover it, and B, a flat-out commandment from God to be sanctified and separated and holy. This verse is how we manage that weird balance of complete freedom and a direct command to be sanctified. If we seek purity for the sake of righteousness, are we not kind of forgetting about Jesus and the fact that He paid for our righteousness? Let me just read what I wrote. Purity is not solely in our actions, but also, and possibly more so, in our intentions. If we seek purity for the sake of righteousness, any purity we find is offset by the belief that it's actually pure. We must remember that righteousness comes from Christ alone. We should seek purity from a desire to simply honor God's mercy and properly represent His holiness to the lost. We stay pure for the good of others, not ourselves. Read this verse again and try replacing the word good with purity in the verse. No one should seek their own purity, that comes from Christ, but the purity of others by means of setting an example. The purity of believers is the core framework in God's idea of evangelizing. I'm going to say that again. Purity of believers is the core framework in God's idea of evangelizing. If you need an example, don't look any farther than Jesus. His influence was as much attributed to his blamelessness as it was to his words or his miracles. So this kind of changes everything. Before, we're talking about being pure and being pure and being pure and, you know, stay away from sexual immorality and, you know, don't cheat yourself. And, and then Paul completely flips the script here in the last part of verse 10. And it becomes a selfless deed to manage your purity. Anybody out there who you think is benevolent, generous, and they're always giving... And they're good Christians and they just love everybody. But then you find out that they were caught up in sexual immorality. Do you not think how selfish of them? Purity is a selfless act. I stay pure so I can protect the people I'm trying to help bring to Jesus. This is why whenever you're truly pure, you're not also pious. You're not arrogant with your purity. You know who was arrogant with their purity? All the priests that Jesus ripped on. They were arrogant with their purity. And he ripped on them for it. You know who was humble with his purity? Jesus. Eat anything sold. I'm at verse 25. 
eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. Look, pork, lamb, beef, whatever. Grass-fed, corn-fed, don't worry about it. If you want to eat snake meat, that's your thing. <laughs> Tastes like chicken. <laughs> For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go and eat whatever is put before you and do it without raising any questions of conscience. So here Paul clearly isn't worried about purity in food. So look, you're going to go to somebody's house. They're not a believer. They put some food in front of you and you're not, you're not into it, hey, look, just eat it. it. Don't raise any questions of conscience. You know? That, I know, and there's, okay, this is a bad example, and I'm going to throw Kyle under the bus. This is a bad example because there's some other factors involved. But him and Jared, did you guys not go to a wedding or something, and, they, and the, the, it was all spiked, all the punch was spiked or something, right? Am I remembering this correctly? Yes. Yeah? And so they went, and they're like, and they, here they got this drink at their table, and, and they drink it, and they're like, what? this has got alcohol in it. And Jared was infuriated. He was so mad. And Kyle, you were pretty mad too, right? Hey, look, I don't blame him. That's, you got to, come on. I mean, it says don't raise questions of consciousness, right? So it's not like I think they felt like they were sinning. Oh, no, they've tricked me into sin. I, but come on, there's some common courtesy on, on the part of the host. Like, at least tell people that there's some alcohol in the drink. Right? But anyways, it brings up a good example. That if you're there, and they tell you, here, all I have, all's I, look, all I have with dinner tonight is wine. And you're thirsty, and like their water's turned off or something. I don't know. I'm making up a weird situation. <laughs> don't feel like you're sinning just because you're going to drink the wine, and you're not, you, you've given up drinking. You're you know, completely dry. I'm, I'm completely dry, completely sober. So for me, that would be a really weird situation. Some of you, not a big deal at all, right? But anyways, food doesn't matter. Okay. Verse 28. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. So here, even here, Paul isn't concerned with the believer's purity. He says, don't eat the food that's been sacrificed, but not for you, for their conscience. He says, don't eat it as a way to send a message so maybe they'll get nudged toward holiness right does that make sense even there he's still not concerned with the believer's purity he's concerned with trying to bring the lost person a little close to purity a little closer a little bit closer a little closer for why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience if i take part in the meal with thankfulness why am i denounced because of something i thank god for okay so food's fine so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church. And here's the last part. And this sums it up perfectly. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. All right. Again, a complete dedication to bringing others into purity. Paul isn't discounting the importance of a believer's purity or good. Right? He, he took a left turn and he gets to this place where he's like, look, I'm not even concerned with anything. I just want to help them be good. 
but you can't forget what he spent a verse or a chapter and a half on talking about us being good. So he's not discounting the fact that you need to be good. He's just adjusting the motivation. Okay? He's, he's providing a clear definition of why it's important. Purity is important because you're reaching the lost. Purity is important because it reaches the lost. Okay? Now look, we're almost done. Finish up. We're going to fail. I'm going to fail. You're going to fail. We're going to mess up. I hate it. I hate, hate failure because I hate sin. You guys have been here, I know. Even in the midst of your flesh or whatever, your mind enjoying a sin, you hate it. Hate it. This is kind of a thing where it's an, it's an A for effort type of deal. Because all of your purity is coming from Jesus. All of your purity is coming from His blood. The fact that He died on a cross, He spilled His perfect blood, and now anything you do is covered by it. So the goal here is to set a high effort and to push yourself forward into greater purity. And when you do fail, the question God is asking is, how quick are you going to get back on the right track? How fast? How fast can you get back on the right track? And how long can you stay there this time? No baseball team ever goes undefeated. Doesn't happen. And it's a manager's job to come in and minimize the mistakes, minimize the down slumps of his players, and maximize the good things that are happening within that baseball team. So you're the manager of your baseball team. You're the manager of your body. You're the manager. You can, you, it's your job to minimize the mistakes, minimize the down, and maximize the up. Right? So don't... We seek after purity because we really want it and we really value it and we know it's so important. Right? We know it's so, so important. And then what happens when we fail is we're crushed. We're completely crushed. We're reminded of our own weakness. We're reminded of our own inabilities. And we're, we're, we're just crushed. And we get ravished with guilt. We get taken by shame. And none of that is productive either. So as you're seeking purity, first and foremost, trust the blood of Jesus and trust that no matter what you do, the people here at the Bridge Church, we're going to love you. We're going to love you. And we're going to respect you, and we're going to value you. And that's not going to stop. Okay? All right, let's pray. <clears throat> I'm all finished. Thank you guys for sticking with me. Uh, I hope you got something out of it. I hope you were challenged. I hope you were not discouraged. All right. I'll be up here afterwards to answer any questions. If you have any questions, feel free to go to Vanessa or, or, or Terrence or Kyle and Sarah or, of course, Jared and Mandy um, or, or my wife. <laughs> you can go to anybody on the church staff and ask questions. So let's, let's just pray. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for all of your mercy. Uh, we all know, each of us, each of us know our imperfections. 
Uh, we know them to a T. And we don't like them. And we don't like them just like you don't like them. And we just want your help in correcting them. So God, I just release a, a Holy Spirit accountability into our body right now uh, that, that you'll, you'll be the one to whisper into people's ears. And when you provide a way uh, out of sin, did I skip that verse? I feel like I didn't read that. Vivian, why don't you catch me on these things? <laughs> Father, we always know you provide an exit ramp. And we don't want to ignore the exit ramp. We don't want to miss the exit ramp. And, uh, so just keep us accountable, Father. Hmm. And Lord, I, I uh, bind up guilt and shame. We're making progress here, God. We're not works that are finished. Uh, and so I bind up guilt and shame. And we're going we're gonna to strive toward purity, God. And we're going to commit that to you right now. We're going to strive toward purity, and we're going to try to construct something with you. We're going to go out, we're going to talk to the lost. We're going to talk to people about Jesus, Lord. We're committing to you right now. We're going to do it. We're going to share the fact that Jesus is the solution. And we're going to love people, and we're going to do it with the foundation of purity in our own lives. That's our commitment to you, Father. And all we ask of you is to Help us that when we're bending, we don't break. And when we're tempted, that we don't fall. And when we trip, we get back up. And we're totally dependent on your blood, Jesus. We love you as a king. We're doing this for your kingdom. Because we love your kingdom. And we pray in your name. Amen. All right. I don't know how many verses I missed, but I'm sorry about that. Oh, it was at the do not grumble. Yeah, I just skipped a whole cell in my graphic. If you think you're standing firm, be careful you don't fall. Be vigilant. Here's vigilant. Pray. Stay in the word. Don't make compromises. Five parts. Five parts. I guess two more. I'm going to repeat the first three. Pray. Stay in the word. Don't make compromises. Seek accountability. Always keep your love on. If you can do that, you will stand firm. Okay? All right. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Look, it's not a secret weapon, guys. It's the same stuff. It's been going on. Uh, so it's not some kind of crazy thing. We have the strength to overcome it. And God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out, which is what we just discussed, so that you can endure it. He will, he will provide the way out, guys. He always does. The problem is we tend to ignore it because we want to sin. Don't want sin. Look for the way out and take it, okay? All right, I'm sorry I missed that part, but we're done now. You guys have a wonderful day, and uh, we love you guys.